Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Oh man, yeah, give it up for uh, our next generation pastor, Charlie Vander Cody. What a legend. What a legend. Oh man, and give it up for a phenomenal worship team. How about them? Wow, what a what a time in the presence of the Lord. Take over, kids. You can be dismissed. Um, wow, wow. <laughs> what a what a morning. What a time in the house of the Lord. Are you glad that you prioritized and found yourself in the house of God this morning? Fantastic. I am too. I am so glad and so grateful that you are here this morning. And I mean it. I, I love church. Specifically, I love this church. And there is no place I would rather be than right here in the presence of God, in the presence of my family, in the presence of all of you. This, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. Amen? Amen. Alrighty. Well, feel free to pop the lights back on so people can see to write notes and things, you know, all that. Um, but hey, this morning, we are continuing our series, The Jesus People. Amen? The Jesus people. I got any Jesus people in the house this morning? Come on. I got any religious people in the house this morning? <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. I uh, got you. Well, that's honest. Honestly, I can appreciate that. Uh, well, yes, as we have been doing, we are going to continue reading off the Jesus People Prayer this morning. It'll be up on the Sky Bible behind me. In fact, can you give it up for Kenny holding it down in the booth as well as Kelsey holding down Sky Bible? Love you guys. Honor you. Bless you. Thank you. You are fantastic. And uh, so I'm going to say it, and then you're going to repeat after me. Sound good? But I kind of need you to say it with like, say it with your chest. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't be the only one huffing and puffing and causing myself to aspirate. I need you to join me in choking for the Lord. Sound good? That's a call back to last week, if you remember. All right, Sky Bible, here it is. The Jesus people prayer. Father God, build your church. Build your church. Oh, build your church. That the gates of hell. That the gates of Hades. That the gates of Sheol would not prevail against her. Give us your heart. Give us your words. Give us your power. Create in us a zeal for your house and a longing. I said a longing. A longing for your presence. Fill. Purify and make us or mark us that's what I meant that's what I meant make us like Jesus set us apart make us a holy nation make your presence known here father we just ask that your presence will be known here establish signs and wonders among your people pour out pour out pour out your spirit upon us we will be we will be we will be your people you will be you will be you will be our God we declare 
your kingdom come, your will be done in our city as it is in heaven. Let revival come. And a God-filled, spirit-filled, submitted underneath the blood of Jesus, saved by Christ's work on the cross, people said. Amen. Won't you praise him because he's good, because he's faithful. He is good and he is faithful. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is, whew. right now I'm going to call it I'm winded, but uh, it's I'm convinced. The title of my message is I'm convinced. Week six, somebody say week six. Week six of uh, the Jesus people. I am convinced. I'm convinced. All right, I got two passages of scripture we're going to be camping out in this morning. If you have your Bible, crack that bad Jackson open. Come on. Who loves their B-I-B-L-E? How many know the B-I-B-L-E is the book for me? Yeah, come on. I wasn't even raised in church, and I know those ones. All right, come on. Come on. Get your inner Awana going on. Not sure I want to go home Awana, but like I want to know the Lord Awana, you know? Hebrews 10, 32 through 39, and then I'm going to follow that up quickly with Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. So first starting off, Hebrews 10, 32 through 39, and that's where we're going to go. Ready? All right, here we go. Verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 47. 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and persevere their soul. Amen? We preserve our souls. Here we go. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I didn't mean condemnation. I meant com combination. That's a hard word to pronounce for me. All right. We're going to pray. And we're going to see what the Lord will do. Does that sound good? Amazing. Father God, I thank you in the midst of grammatical flubs, cracking mics, scorching hot earth, and a building that we're so blessed to have even without AC. God, you are good. <laughs> you are good, and you are faithful, and you are here. So Father God, right now, right now, God, we just tap we tap into that. We tap into your goodness and into your faithfulness, God. We, we position ourselves closely to you right now, Father God. This isn't a performance. This isn't some religious duty. 
God, this is an interaction with the king of the universe, with the creator of the universe, with the Lord of lords, the savior of saviors, the only perfect one. This is a moment, God, for us where we get to interact with not just the most sovereign being, the highest being, but the good, good father that we get to come to the king of the universe and understand that we get to approach the throne of God boldly, Father. Today, God, I ask right now, I ask God that you would remind us of what the word God means. Shake us, God. Rattle us, God. Sift out any impurities in us, God. Thrush us back and forth like wheat from the chaff. Separate from us, God, those things that we haven't recognized that you're Lord in and that we need to submit to you right now, God. I just feel your burden for your people to recognize that you are God and all that that word means, all that that entails, whom you are, Father. So God, in this time, would you just be the great physician and would you pierce between bone and marrow and would you scalpel and carefully take away everything on the inside of us that still doesn't look like Jesus? Would you redeem the parts of us that are still furthest from you? And Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you just ignite in us? Would you just ignite in us, God, a great faith, God? A great faith, God. In Jesus' mighty name of faith-filled church said, Amen. Amen. I'm convinced. I am convinced. I'm convinced. Can we get these lights on too? Guys, these front ones right here. I'm convinced. I just want to see these beautiful people's faces. There you are. Look at you. Look at you. Best looking people between 36th and 32nd Street. Tell you what. I love you. I'm convinced of that as well. I'm convinced. You see, I, I hope it's been understood. I hope it's been seen. I hope it's been felt. I hope that notes have been taken and lives have been changed. I hope that you've had some things to, to leave in this series to chew on, to gnaw on that, that made you really dig deep with the Lord because this is an hour in the world in which the Jesus people are needed most. And if Jesus' people aren't just Christians who, who casually show up once a month, they're not just Christians who know how to post the right things and say the right things and they get in their daily Bible verse, but a Christian is the Jesus' people, those that have been formed, shaped, saved, redeemed, blessed, taken out of the muck and the mire and placed on the mountaintops high next and seated to the Lord in heavenly places, those who will begin to look and sound and be more like Jesus for the rest of their lives. Those are the Jesus people. Do I have any Jesus people in the house? I believe that I do. I believe that I do because friends, I am deeply, deeply, deeply concerned. I'm deeply concerned not just for the state of the church. I think the, I think the bride of Christ is in a season of renewal. I think she's in a season of revival. I think right now the bride of Christ is beginning to get her spunk back, get her fire back, get her moxie back, get the steel in her spine back to recognize again whom her husband is, that he's not some jabroni. He is Jesus. Amen. Does anybody recognize that our Savior isn't a wimp? He's Jesus. Our Savior isn't a wuss. He's Jesus. 
Come on, this is our God. And this is why I can come up here and I can pour myself out before you every single Sunday because I'm doing this with him every single day. Friends, this is what it looks like. Not me, but pouring ourselves out before the one. Man, I just want a deep revelation of the one because I see the world going to hell in a handbasket and it's attempting to take the church with it. And I say, not today, amen? Somebody say, not today. Not today. Somebody say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. If this is God's world and he made it, and we're God's people and we're submitted to him, then how many of you know we have a role to play in how this thing turns out? And right now I believe revival is, is more needed in the church today than ever before. In fact, I am convinced. Somebody say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that revival is more needed in the church today because how many of you know when a fresh wind of God breaks out in the church, the world gets a breath of fresh air. When a fresh wind of God breaks out in the church, the world gets a fresh breath of air to it. Man, when we have some convictions in our lives, when the church begins to lose her voice, the world loses her mind. And that is what we are seeing right now. For a season, for a time, for a moment, the church lost her voice, lost her spunk, lost her moxie. And I love the church. She is my favorite thing. I love her. But for 30 years... 30 years in the United States of America and in the Western world at large. We have done something where there should be a revival flame in the midst of us that is a torch in the black of night. When the world is going to hell and doesn't know it, we're calling out saying, this is safety. This is the shores of the Lord. Come in, come in, come in. Amen. That's what revival looks like to the world when it's breaking out in the church. We are a torch to those shrouded in darkness and living in sin and living lives that are going to lead them to hell. And so for 30 years, what we did is we assisted that journey to hell. I'm going to ruffle some feathers today. Get ready. Let's be an unruffled feathered people. I want to take over church to be the least inoffensible people because their pastor says the most offensible things. <laughs> right? I'm going to train you for the world. I'm going to say all the things that offend uh, before you ever get out for somebody else to do it. For 30 years, we have done this thing where we have created a seeker-friendly church. A seeker-friendly culture where we have proclaimed and we have boldly said, everyone's welcome. Where we have said, myself included. God, I'm being convicted right now before you. I have said, you have a home here. Come as you are. We've said you, I have said this myself. There is Instagram posts when we first launched church and I need to repent before the Lord Jesus in this moment. Jesus, I repent and I'm sorry because I have said you belong before you believe. Well, Pastor Matt, shouldn't everybody be able to come to church to hear the gospel of Jesus and turn their lives into, yeah, they should. They should. But the problem is, is what has ended up happening as we've created the seeker-friendly culture. We've made seeker-friendly churches. And out of that, we've made convictionless 
churches. In our attempt to be palpable and reach the masses, we have diluted the blood of Jesus. We have diluted the message of Christ in the earth. And we have said these things that all of a sudden we wonder why the bride is afraid of the world. We live in a time and a place where the bride at large is afraid of the culture that surrounds her. And the reason that is, is this. I believe in our day, in the last 30 years, out of an attempt to make a seeker-friendly church, we have commiserated with the doubts of many. We have allowed doubt of the world to be sown in to the heart of the bride. Why is she scared? Why is she not speaking up? Why is, why is suddenly the, ch the church that is the beacon of truth in the world suddenly becoming truth deniers? Why are we suddenly sounding like the rest of the world? How many of you know there is a problem in the heart of the bride when she sounds like the world? Am I preaching to anybody? Friends, friends, I look at the bride of Christ and I go, we need revival. We need revival, but the problem with that is revival fire requires revival faith. Amen? Revival fire re re requires revival faith. Revival fire requires revival faith. And the problem with that is, as we look to men and women, and we're going, where are the men and women of old who had great faith? Where are the men and women of old who had great faith? Every revival in the earth came on the backside of a man or a woman of the most high God of great faith, that possessed great faith, that hope against hope, they believed God that he would do a mighty work through them and in their generation. I'm wondering today, where are the men and women of great faith and will they be found here at Takeover Church? Will we go out into our city and when people ask, oh yeah, what church do you go to? And they go, take over church. They're like, yeah, the Jesus people of great faith. That's what I want us to be known by. Friends, I wonder today, is the heart of the bride sick because we have commiserated with doubt and ostracized revival? Have we commiserated with doubt and ostracized great faith? What does the heart of the bride look like? What does it look like? Friends, can I ask you this question today? What does your heart look like? What does my heart look like? What does my heart look like? What does your heart look like? Is your heart, is your heart full of doubt? Or is your heart full of faith? Is Matt's heart full of great doubt? Do I believe? And I, trust me, listen to this, 300 people isn't a revival. We'll have many more. But do I have the great faith in my life that we will make use of all those chairs we were just blessed with and we will have 300 people here? Or do I have great doubt that I'm going to be able to fill those 300 chairs? Do you, in your life, are you full of great doubt? Or are you full of great faith? Because friends, I believe what we have done for the last 30 years is turning 
the tides are turning. The church is reawakening. She is beginning to remember just who she is, just who in the heavens the bride of Christ is. Amen. Is there anybody in here this morning that wants to remember who they are? Amen. I came to tell you today, you will remember who you are when you remember whose you are. Bless you. You will remember who you are when you remember whose you are. There is a great faith that is just waiting to be awakened in the bride of Christ. But I wonder, I wonder, friends, have we been sowing in doubt in an attempt to commiserate with the world? Friends, I want our worship services to be known as a place where doubt comes to die in the presence of God. I want our worship services, this moment beforehand, this 40 minutes beforehand, I want this moment, because you're probably thinking, well, Matt, shouldn't everybody be able to come? Yes, absolutely. And when they come, in the moment, in the presence of the mighty King of Jesus, when he walks into the room and he rides in off the praises of his people, which is what his word says, where two or more gather in his name, there he is in the midst of us. In those moments when Jesus walks into the room, doubt has to die. And I want our preaching moments in church. I want when we let the word of God rip, when the word of God goes forth, I want this to be the moment where great faith is reignited in the church. Amen. Where great faith is reignited in our people. Man, I came today with a fire in my belly. And I hope that you receive it today because I am telling you, this is the hour where the church is desperately needed to bring revival into our world. Problem is, I believe that revival is always in the heart of God, but I don't believe that revival is always in the heart of the church. I believe. I believe God wants revival so desperately in Grand Rapids. Have you seen it over the summer? It's halfway over, and it's been a summer of violence, of murder, of adultery, sexual immorality, all sorts of things, uproars, protests, marches. We have people literally screaming in our streets. I love Monroe Center. But as of late, it's been a center for, let's march to just continue on slaughtering innocent lambs. I don't expect everybody to be in the know of what the world is doing. In fact, I think that's the job of the pastors. I think the job of the pastors is to be able to see what's going on in the world and present a biblical worldview to their churches to equip you. To equip you for the hour and the work ahead of us. And that's what I aim to do every single week. Because right now, our world is in desperate need of a revival in the church. And I believe that revival is in the heart of God always. But I am not convinced that the heart of the church always has revival in it. And I think that's because we have tried to make user-friendly, seeker-friendly services. Problem is, from Genesis to Revelation, I never saw that. 
have never read the good book of which is the authority of my life and have seen that. But I am convinced. I am convinced. Somebody say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the bride is not too far gone, that her best days are not ahead of her, or not behind her, but are ahead of her. And I am convinced. Somebody say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that your best days are still ahead of you. I think for a lot of us, we hear this and, man, we have allowed doubt to be sown into our hearts because, God, it's so much easier to relate to you on a doubt-filled level than it is to relate to you on a faith-filled level, isn't it? Because we're human, because we're broken, because we're fragile, because we have our own issues and hang-ups. And here's the problem. We have taken the word sin and we've completely thrown it out of church and we've replaced it with mistakes, struggles, and issues. And out of that, out of the replacement of the consequence, out of the replacements of the issues, out of replacement of the actual sickness, the good physician, the great physician, hasn't been able to actually heal us, fix us, redeem us, and restore us to the place he wants us to be because we don't recognize that we have a sin issue that separates us from him. We think we only have mistakes and issues. Come on. How many know your faith will get great when you realize how great your sin was? And then you realize how greater your God is. Right? He is greater. God, you are greater. Amen? Can we just say that together as a church? Say, God, you are greater. He's greater than your sin. He's greater than the devil. He's greater than hell. He's greater than the world. He's greater than our president. He's greater than everything. He's greater. And the reason that's important to know is because, friends, I am convinced today, I am convinced of the Word of God. And in the Word of God, I'm just going to give you real quick, James 1, we're not going to bring it up on the Sky Bible, I'm not even going to preach out of it. I need you to understand this. We spent so much time commiserating with the doubt of others, of having little small groups surrounded by our doubt. Everything was based around our doubt. We're having meetings about our doubt. We're talking about doubt. We're talking about this. We're talking about that. And I got to tell you, all throughout the Bible, God isn't attracted to doubt. God isn't attracted to doubt. God isn't attracted to doubt. He's not. You look up James 1, perfect place to begin. But all throughout the Bible, he literally says, you'll never read this. You'll never read in the Bible. I searched all the world for the greatest doubt. No, in fact, he says the opposite. I searched the world. In Isaiah, he says, I searched the world for great faith, and I have found it. I have found it in Zion. Friends, he actually says in James 1, he's like, no, 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 no. I move on the backside of those steadfast in their faith, and I withhold from those who are doubt-filled, who are doubtful. Those that doubt, he says this, he says that you are split-tongued, double-minded, tossed to and fro by the waves, and you shall not be trusted. You're going to hear this in a megachurch. Your faith has made you well. I'm not even hearing it. Your faith has made you well. Your doubt hasn't made you whole. 
Your faith has made you well. Your doubt hasn't made you whole. I am looking to raise up and I am looking to myself to be this. I want to be a man of great faith. And I want to raise up a church of men and women of great faith. I want to raise up a people so bold, so audacious, so completely sold out to the scriptures of Jesus, to how his Holy Spirit is leading us, so committed and and just submitted to the word of God that we are a people of deep conviction and of great faith. And I believe that begins when we decide we're gonna put death to doubt. See, I love the Apostle Paul and Hebrews. I love 10 through 13. See, 10 through 13 is, uh, is some of my favorite passages in scripture. And it's because the Apostle Paul, he is writing to these Jewish boys, these church, and he's going, hey, fellas, I know how things were. I know how they've been done. I know how you used to do things. Yes, you used to have 667 laws that you had to abide by and slaughter animals on animals on animals, dips in rivers and all sorts of stuff to jump through hoops just to be somewhat okay with God. I get that, but that's done now. Jesus has fulfilled it. And so what Paul begins to write in John or in Hebrews 10 through 13 is true and proper worship and what that looks like, not only in the church, but in the kingdom of heaven at large. And that's what we see here. And I want to start with Hebrews 11.1 1, because this is amazing. I love this passage of scripture because here today, this really is a moment where we are pitting faith against doubt. Revival against doubt. This is what I want to talk about today. And this is what I believe the bride of Christ at large, but specifically ours, needs to hear. Because so many people, we always hear this, right? Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is. Fear is just the symptom of a, of a heart that's sick with doubt. Fear is just the symptom of a heart that is sick with doubt. But man, I want to be, oh, here we go. I want to be a man whose heart is sick with great faith. Because you know what a symptom of a heart that's sick with great faith is? Revival. Fear. Psh. Can't stay here. Why? Because we are filling ourselves with faith. We will not be a people of great doubt. We will be a people of great faith. And we will do everything within our God-given, Holy Spirit-filled, empowered, short time here on earth to put death to doubt and life to faith and glory to revival. Amen. And so I love the Apostle Paul here because in in Hebrews 11 verse 1, he just starts going in on them. He just starts going in on them, and he's, he begins to break down what the word faith actually means. And I think this is, this is seriously, it, there's, <laughs> you want to talk about uh, shortage right now in the United States on things. There is a shortage of faith in the church. There is a shortage of faith in the church, okay? And because, can I tell you why? Because we have taken faith, and we've placed our faith not in the faithful one, but in doubtful things. We've taken our measure of faith. Every one of us, we get a measure of faith by God. We've taken our measure of faith and we've placed it in doubtful things, items, idols, totems, people, places, money, government, all of it. (laughs) Oh, I feel Jesus in this room right now. You see, friends, faith is only as powerful as the one that it's placed in. 
Faith is only as powerful as the one that it's placed in. But we live our lives placing our faith in all of these other things, thinking they can save us, thinking they can protect us, thinking they can redeem us. Friends, I love this here United States of America. Someone said America. I'm going to get canceled just for that. Pastor made church say America. Not everybody in the body of Christ is a fan of America. Well, how about we just cancel the internet? Like, you know what I'm saying? The internet is a hub for dumb people that the Lord wishes to redeem, okay? <laughs> it is. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I love this place called America, but in America, man, there's so many people, both, doesn't matter, church people, non-church people, saved people, unsaved people, uh, saints and ain'ts, all of us at different times in our lives, we have taken our faith and we have placed it in the United States government. We have looked to politicians and lawmakers to be our salvation, and they can't be. Well, Matt, it's so big. They're so strong. We are the leading people in the world. Like Jesus and his church is a light unto darkness. So is America. Well, as big as the government is, and as much power as the president may have, and as many armies as he may control, he is but an ant to a man as he is to God, as it is to God. We got an army. He controls heaven's armies of angels. He can blink an eye and you die. Like, I mean, it's not even a competition yet. For some reason, we have put our faith in something but in the natural that may be big and look powerful is fragile. It is frail. It's fake. It is faux. It's a woozy. It's a wuzzy. It's fairy dust. It ain't real. It's certainly not a real as King Jesus on his throne who rules over everything. And then what else do we do? We take our faith and we put it in people. We put it in flesh and bone. We put it in something that God himself says, dog, I made you from dirt. Like, I spit into the ground, got it wet, made you blew my breath in your body. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. Like you, you are literally, everything you are is borrowed from me. <laughs> you know? Like this, this is the actual factual thing with God. I made you in my image and likeness, but make no mistake about it. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, from which you came, you will go back to. And then you will be raised up. And then you will be in heaven. And then God's going to come back. He's going to light the entire world on fire. And we're going to get a new heaven, a new earth. And we're going to go glory gonna be awesome but until then why are we placing our quote-unquote faith in our fellow man you know how flawed you are right well then you better know how flawed your neighbor is how flawed your politician is how flawed your leaders are right why would I build my faith on someone who is but dust with God's breath in them am I preaching to anybody this morning come on Ain't none of us defeating death today, but Jesus has. Oh, and then we're like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, money's pretty good. Money's good, but it could be better. Money's good, but it could be better. Well, what's better than money, Matt? 
<laughs> God. You know, you know, we place all of our hope and faith and money. Why? We have an 87-year-old dude who thinks that he can just print money as a whim with 17 trillion million or 17 trillion dollars in debt, and we expect money to be our future? What? There's no hope there. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Everything that's just that's just printed fax paper. Like, you know? I'm actually down with the save the tree people now. Like, can we just quit doing that? Because it, it doesn't actually mean anything anymore. Ain't no gold for it. But what's better than money? What can I put my hope in my money? What else can I put my faith in? How, what else should I be building upon? God and his manna from heaven. One of his names that he is known by in the earth, in the depths of hell. He is known to the heights of heaven as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, your provider. My money ain't green in hell. It burns. My bank account don't scare the devil. You know who does? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh does. Jehovah Jireh scares the hell out of the devil. So we don't place our faith in these fallen things. But can I tell you this? The reason we live such doubt-filled lives is because we have placed our faith in doubtful vessels. Doubtful vessels. The government, doubtful. Well, Matt, how do you measure doubt? Whether it can overcome God or not. Matt, how do you measure doubt? Whether it's something, someone, someplace, an item, idol, totem, person, place, or thing that can overcome God or not. Matt, how do you know it's doubtful? Because I doubt it'll hold up to God. Matt, how do you know it's doubtful? Because I doubt it can stand under the weight of a word from Jesus' mouth. Matt, how do you know it's doubtful? Because my Bible is going to outlast it. It's fragile. It's frail. It cannot sustain. It never has. It never will. But I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Come on, I'm convinced. I'm convinced the Christian man, the Christian woman, the Jesus people, the bride of Christ, I am convinced we can put death to doubt in our lives when we begin to place our faith once again in the one who's only capable of being faithful. Literally, he is incapable of being unfaithful. He's incapable of being unfaithful. God literally can not lie. He cannot fail. He cannot let you down. He cannot succumb to any man, person, place, or thing in our lives. He has no second place. God is the victor. Make no mistake about it. God is king. Make no mistake about it. I don't care who we elect or who takes over or what happens in this earth. Ain't none. Bigger, badder, better, greater than our God. Amen. And I believe that there is a church just waiting to rise up in Grand Rapids that will believe God is greater. That we would begin to put our faith in the faithful one again. That we would begin to build our faith on the right things, on the right one. Come on, somebody. Our faith is only as powerful or as weak as the person or object of which we have placed it on. Amen. God is faithful.
Man, I want a church that just has the spine in her back with the steel rod going, God is faithful. The world could go to hell around me, collapse around me. It can do all it is, and I will be standing. Why? Because God is faithful. You don't think Jesus isn't going to protect his bride when it all goes down? What kind of man do you think he is? What kind of savior do you think he is? What kind of Lord do you think he is? What kind of king do you think he is? He's greater. There's not a man in here that's married that wouldn't take a bullet for his wife or his kids. What do you think Jesus will do? What he's already done. Can we praise him before we move forward? Can we praise him? We're the Jesus people. We don't fold to nothing but Jesus. Our knees don't buckle to nothing but Jesus. We don't go backwards for nothing but Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Revival and retreat don't share the same Christ. Amen? What I love is that we live in a time and place where it's becoming abundantly clear to the church that God does not honor doubt the way he honors revival. God does not honor doubt the way that he honors faithfulness. Great faith. We believe the craziest thing in the known universe. And I just want to tell you today, I just want to tell you today, Paul starts off this verse and he says, faith is the assurance Faith is the assurance. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance. Friends, can I tell you what kind of assurance you have when your faith is placed in the world? None. <laughs> because your assurance is only as powerful as what you've placed it in. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Well, I just hope there's not going to be a recession. How about we just believe there's not going to be a recession for the believer? How about we believe that he's going to take care of his church? That the gates of hell or the recession of man will not prevail against her? Talk about evangelism. Come be a part of this family. My dad is loaded. I don't know. I'm watching the stock market. I don't care about the stock market. Watch the sun. Friends, when we place our faith, our assurance in things of this world, our assurance is as fragile as it is. This world, big, beautiful, blue, I love it. It's great. Doesn't compare to heaven. Doesn't compare to Jesus. Doesn't compare to where I have my roots going, where your roots going. You planted in the earth or you planted above? Where are your roots going? Come on, somebody. We got a whole series of like 18 weeks called Roots Above, Branches Below. The audio sucks, but it'll bless you. Go back and listen to it. But for real, where are your roots? Where are your roots going? Because where your roots are going, where you are planted will prove what you have placed your faith in, and that faith will prove what you have hope in, and that hope's assurance. Is it viable or is it fragile? Is it faithful or is it frail? Is it broken or is it beautiful? Is it magnificent? Where are you placing your faith? Because I got to tell you, 
When Paul says this, he's breaking this down for the Hebrew boys real good. And they should know this, all right, by the way. Like, they are people who have, from birth, just because they're Abraham's descendants, God is like, you're mine. They should have all the assurance in the world. They shouldn't need this to be explained to them. However, they're human, like we are. And Paul needs to remind them, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This thing right here, where you have placed your assurance, place your faith in Christ. Because friends, the things that you have placed your faith in, the assurance that comes for it, is as fragile or as powerful as the one you placed it in. And let me tell you this, when you begin to place your faith in Jesus, when you begin to place your faith in Jesus, how am I going to overcome depression? Jesus, how am I not going to take my own life by suicide? Jesus, how am I going to stay in my marriage? Jesus, how am I not going to cheat on my spouse? Jesus, how am I going to break pornography addiction? Jesus, how am I not going to cheat on my taxes? Jesus! How am I going to survive in 2022? Jesus. How am I going to survive the shifting winds of doctrine in the world? Jesus. Where is your assurance today? Who has it? I hope it's Jesus. I hope it's Jesus. You see, then Paul goes on to say what I believe is one of the most underappreciated, overlooked, truest, amazing, faith-rattling, perspective-shifting, truest statements that, that if you just let this get on the inside of you, this would change your entire world. He says, faith is the assurance things hoped for, but the conviction of the unseen, conviction of the not seen, conviction Faith is the conviction of the unseen. Friends, do you know what the word conviction means? Conviction means literally what you have been convinced by. Friends, what are you convinced by today? What have you been convinced by today? You know what will tell me what you're convinced by? Your money. No one will tell me what you're convinced by? Your life. No one will tell me what you are convinced by? Your Netflix account. No one will tell me you're convinced by? Your search history. No one will tell me you're convinced by? your life. What are you convinced of? What are you convinced of? Conviction of the unseen. Faith is the conviction of the unseen. Friends, what have you been convinced by? And I'm not talking, listen, 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 listen. We got Christians today. God bless you. Love you. Pray you have a radical encounter with Christ where you come home who will spout off day and night about the convictions that they laid hold to. But then their life does not represent what they claim. The receipt of their life does not back up the conviction they are trying to charge on their public credit card. Let me tell you this. Conviction aren't the ideas and the opinions that you lay claim to. Convictions are the truths of God that have gripped you. Conviction is the truths of God that have laid claim to you. What truths of God has laid claim to you? And on the flip side, what lies of the world, lies of culture, lie of your own sin, lies of your own flesh, what lies have also laid claim to you? I preach to anybody this morning. Conviction is 
faith, what are you convinced by? Because friends, I'm convinced. Somebody say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced you will only receive from God what you are convinced of by God. I'm convinced. I'm, somebody say, I'm convinced. It's just kind of a thing that we're going to be doing. I'm convinced that we only receive what we believe God has made available to us. Believe this. Are you convinced today? Because I think a lot of us, I think we're convinced that God does everything for some, but only some things for others. Does that make sense? Like, honestly, I feel like he has done it all. He's Lord of all. But really, his blessings only extend to some of y'all. And that's how we live our lives. Want to know why? Because so many of us will live like this. We'll live like, well, of course God is going to heal Pastor Matt. He delivers the good news. I'm just a mailman, and I deliver bad news. Right? Got one laugh. I get it. I got bills that are coming with me. Dumb flyers ain't nobody want to see. I ain't ever going to that trampoline park. I don't know why I'm bringing this to you. Like, that's real. And so all of a sudden we get sick, and the pastor Matt gets sick, and it's like, what do I have faith for? Well, I got faith that God's going to heal the man of God because he has a job to do. He delivers the good news to people on Sundays and Wednesdays. Well, that just tells me that you've placed more faith in man than you have in God. Because that, that conviction isn't based on God. That's based on man. Well, Pastor Matt, what do you mean? Well, you seem to think my call is more important than yours. Truth is, though, while you may deliver bills and bad news to people, Mr. Mailman, you get to deliver words of knowledge, a spirit of truth, of wisdom. You get to be the light and love of Christ to people on your street, your route, every single day of the week. I get four hours with you per week, if that, okay, friends? That's what I get to do for good news. You take the good news everywhere you go. So who's the calling is more important, the mailman or the preacher? The mailman. I believe that. I believe that. Oh, man, I just, I'm really struggling right now, but there's another lady in our church that, you know what, she needs more financial provision than I do. She's a single mom. She's got four kids, a lot of mouths to feed. It's hard times. Inflation's on the rise. Gas prices are crazy. Like, all these things are going on. I want to put in a prayer card, but, man, I, I don't know. She kind of needs it. Like, God only got enough for her. Like, God only has enough for her. Again, that shows me that we are convinced that not only has God done it all, but it's only truly for some of all. And that's not the case, friends. That's simply not the case. That conviction needs to be uprooted, loosened, broken off of your life. That grip cannot stay because right now, God doesn't just do for some what he wishes he could do for all. He does for all by his son. That's who he is. That's who he is. So we got to change our conviction. We got to change our conviction. What are you convinced by? What are you convinced by? What has gripped you? Do you believe that revival can happen in the bride? Are you convinced that revival is for today? Or are you convinced the bride's best days are behind her? Because I tell you what, it'll show in how you worship and how you show up to church. 
Do you believe that revival, are you convinced that revival is for your life? That God wants to use you in the mundane, Monday moments of your life to change someone's eternity? Man, we got a, eternity gets a bum rap because we think eternity just means when we die. No, eternity starts now. Eternity begins now. Death has lost its thing. That is just a threshold we pass through. Eternity starts now. And God wants to use you where you are to affect people's eternity. But are you convinced of that? Let me tell you, man, the man that believes his marriage can turn around after adultery, the one that is convinced of it, man, he acts different, doesn't he? He does things different, doesn't he? He's living different, doesn't he? Man, people who are convinced that Jesus is actually Lord of all, people that, people that are convinced that Jesus actually wants a relationship with them, they get up earlier, don't they? Well, their life, their practices just look a little bit different, don't they? I found myself just thinking, man, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want to be the one whose life looks like you come to church once every two months? Or that I go to church with Jesus and my friends every day? And then I come corporately on Sundays and get rowdy for the Lord? Because let me ask you this. The most spiritual, Jesus-centered person in your life, how different does their life look than yours? That should challenge all of us, myself included. Not only should it challenge, it should convince us. See, friends, you will only receive to the level of which you are convinced. God has made everything available, sozo, it happened. Salvation. He opened it up. Everything. Everything. Moth. Time. Doesn't get to eat away at you. Fallen nature of this world doesn't get to come down on you. You might end this life and stand before God and you might have a few scratches and bruises but you'll still be standing before God. That is what he has done. And he is worthy of all of our affection, all of our praise, and all of our faith. Friends, I believe, I am convinced that, man, we haven't seen revival, but that's because the church hasn't been convicted of the unseen revival. We have marriages that are failing because a husband or a wife haven't been convicted of the unseen revival in their marriage. Yeah. I see people that are just struggling, struggling, struggling in depression, they're struggling in hopelessness, but it's because they haven't been, and I'm not saying that there's not a medical cause, don't hear that, but they haven't been convicted, convinced by God actually wants to come in and resurrect the darkest, deepest, most broken, sad parts of you. Man, we live in a time and place, and I'm just gonna say this because things are heating up. We live in a time and place where America looks the way she does because Christians 
were more offended by a personality than they were convicted for biblical policy. I'm looking for a convicted church. I'm looking for a convinced bride. I'm looking for one who's so fully persuaded. In fact, I love, as we get ready to, nope, got a few, we're good. Hebrews 10, that first verse that we read, Paul says, we're going to go backwards. Paul says, do you remember? Do you remember when you were first enlightened? Do you remember when you were first enlightened? Friends, church, today, take over. Do you remember when you were first enlightened? Do you remember when you first, God didn't come alive to you, but you came alive to God? Do you remember when the lightning bolt hit you, the light came on, darkness fled, and you began to see things so different from a higher perspective, and you went, whoa! What is this? I've got to have it. For some of us, our enlightening moment, our salvation moment, wasn't as big bang shakabuka as mine was. I understand that. Some of us, God patiently loved you and resurrected you through like religious family systems. Maybe you were raised in church, but you didn't have a relationship with him. But when you did finally begin your own relationship with Jesus, something sparked in you. And there was a moment where you were like, man, I could take on anything. Paul is going through the list, and he was like, I could take on anything. I feel invincible. Well, you feel invincible because you just got adopted by the only invincible one. Remember when you were first enlightened, and you had faith for anything, for everything. Oh, ain't nothing to me. God's going to do it through me. Amen. Come on. We all remember those days when we were marching down hell. We are like, ain't nothing to me. God's going to provide it for me. Those moments. Man, I remember being a young man, being saved, and I'm in the back of a church bus still smelling like sin, but fully saved by Jesus. Amen. You remember those days? And I remember the first time I was able to talk in tongues, and I just started rattling off. The first time I had a moment of Holy Spirit interaction with tongues, the gifts of tongues, and I was just letting the Holy Spirit clip out everywhere. Well, Matt, how do you know that was real? I don't know it was real. I'm convinced of it. I don't know anything, but I'm convinced of many things. I don't know a whole lot, but I'm convinced of the one. Amen. And Paul's just saying, where's that fire? Where's that enlightenment? When you first were sparked with Jesus, where is that? People could plunder you, steal from you, beat you, leave you dead and blind in a ditch, and you still raise up. Where's that fire? Where is that fire? Where's the team? You can make your way up here. Where is that fire? Where was the enlightenment, boys? When you first came to, to know Jesus and everything was real to you, friends, make no mistake about it. If we do not get, bring death to doubt, deconstruction will be our future. Friends, deconstruction is Satan's greatest plan. He's been at work in this forever. Contrary to other pastors on Instagram and TikTok, gluttony is not Satan's favorite sin. Stupid. Sin is Satan's favorite sin. 
And if he can poison your heart with doubt, and he can lead you to a path of tearing apart your faith, man, he just wants to get at that enlightened moment, and he wants to break it down, and he wants you to, he wants you to cast it out, and he wants a generation to know right now, no, 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 all of that, that's colonized. All of that, that's not real. All of that isn't really Jesus. All of that isn't really for today. All of that stopped with the last apostles. That's not what my Bible says. And never when I had my conversion moment with Jesus, when I became enlightened, did I think he looked anything like me. Because while, yes, he went through the line of David, he went through Israel, he went through brown people, Friends, make no mistake about it, regardless of the skin tone he chose to put on, Jesus doesn't look like us. He's better. He's greater. He's perfect. He fulfilled prophecies, and I think it's beautiful, and I love it. And yes, I do think that people should recognize that more. Jesus does not look like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Facts. I look more like Obi-Wan Kenobi than Jesus does. <laughs> Hello there. But he says, remember when you were enlightened. And listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 35 in Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Remember how confident you were when you first met Jesus. You want to know why you were confident? Because confidence literally means a state of being fully convinced by a belief. I am confident in that Christ just saved me. I am confident that he just took me from hell to life, that he took me from death to life, from hell to heaven, from my own grips on life to his grip on me, that he saved me, he redeemed me, he pulled me from the grave, and he is the only one, the faithful son, that I can place my faith in. And that faith will not be misplaced. That faith will be found well-placed. Would you guys stand? Don't throw away your confidence. The fact that Paul even has to say that means that as Christians and Jesus followers, we have the ability to throw away our convictions. And right now the world wants you to do that more than anything. Throw away your convictions. Change what you've been convinced by. Be convinced by more progressive ideas, more things, more this. Let more things in for this. Make the table longer. Let more voices be heard. I got one table. God prepared it for me in the midst of my enemies, in the midst of culture, and God is the one who sets the table. He decides what's there. He decides what's had. I submit fully to that, whether it's uncomfortable or not, because He is the only faithful one. He's the only faithful one. Even if we rejected and lost what we are most confident in, and we exchanged it for everything the world has to offer us, He would still be the most confident one. He would still be the most faith-filled one. God is incapable of doubt, God isn't capable of frailty. God isn't capable of falling apart. He has that for you. 
and he has that for me so today i want us to begin to remember quit commiserating with the doubts of others and start uh, listen to this start reminiscing about when you first met the lord some of us been so so held up i just got to get people together talk about our doubts and we're commiserating with doubts and we're giving attention to doubts whatever you give attention to will grow doubt grows or faith grows what are you going to grow into what is going to grow in you are you going to reminisce with the lord about how he saved you on that day or are you going to commiserate with your doubt that's trying to take that salvation away what are you going to do who are you going to be so right now as we go into this song father god i just invite you into this place would every believer in the house just raise your hands would you just begin to raise your hands i just want to get a posture right now of receiving our hands are open we're not holding on to anything we're not keeping that we are opening ourselves up in holy spirit right now would you begin to bring back to our remembrance that day of salvation that day of enlightenment that moment where we knew we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew that you were the truest thing outside of the earth under the heavens in the heavens above hell beyond the solar system God you are the truest thing would you bring that back with that passion that fire God begin to again burn in the heart of your bride God that we remember when you first called us yours when you first said beautiful when you first said lovely, when you first said redeemed, when you first said free, when you first said lift your head, go and sit no more. God, right now, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you, we want to reminisce with our Savior. We want to reminisce, God, take us back, show us again, ignite us again. God, give us faith for the things that we had when we first met you. Give us that faith that we knew we could take over our high school for the glory of God. God, give us that faith that we knew everything was going to be okay if we placed our life in you. God, give us that faith again that, man, some of us, we were sexually abused when we were younger and taken advantage of. But when we met you, we knew you had all of it to put those broken pieces back together and we were sold out for it. Bring us back to that, God. Bring us back to the conviction, God, that when a righteous person prays and lay hands, it is powerful and effective. When we started just laying hands on knees at school, when we started laying hands on people at Walmart, when we actually believed the Bible, God, take us back. Stir it up, God. Stir it up, God. Stir it up, God. We're here. And we want to remember, and we want to live in, and we want to reproduce that moment, friends. That moment of salvation was never meant to simmer for a sinner. It was meant to grow in a saint. In a saint. So Father, just bring that back to our remembrance as we sing this song. Reignite us again for your glory. Make much of our lives. Let us burn eternal for you. This isn't seasonal or emotionalism or for a moment. We are saying today, we are your people, the Jesus people. We receive that fresh fire, that fresh wind, that fresh breeze of God in our lives that reminds us of the day in which we were saved. 
And God, we will be faithful to carry that torch everywhere we go. In Jesus' mighty name, let us sing, let us sing, let us sing. Maybe just right where you are, start saying, start remembering that moment out loud. Start remembering that moment out loud. I was 16 years old. I was in a youth ministry. And I just got the hell beat out of me by my dad. And heaven found me that night. He found me that night. And he said, he said to me, I will introduce you to a father that will never treat you the way your has. And I was there. And I was in stitches. And I was in tears. And I heard Jesus. I heard him. And he said my name. And he spoke to me. And he told me what I was made for. And everything was changed. Everything was changed. Oh, remember those moments, church. Remember those moments. Just begin to recite them. Restore yourselves up. Remember. We went after you. Remember, church. We went after you.